Let's be seated together. Let me invite you to turn with me this morning to Acts chapter eight. If you're new with us today, we're in a series called On Mission Together. All through the month of November, looking at the book of Acts to discover how God uses ordinary, everyday people to do extraordinary works that bring others to Jesus. Each and every one of us in our conversion have also found that we've received a commission. When God saved Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, he said to him, for this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness. So not only did that day Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the apostle, who moved from being a persecutor of the cause of Jesus to a prophetic voice for the cause of Jesus. That day he was not only converted to Christ, he was commissioned by Christ. For this purpose I've appeared to you. God has called you to himself. He's given you communion with him, but he's also given you a share in the great mission that he entrusts to every single believer. In Acts chapter one, Jesus, before he ascended, said to his disciples, just before he poured out the Holy Spirit, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So every single person who's a believer in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes to us not only to unite us to the life of Jesus, but to empower us and engage us in the mission of Jesus. And in Acts chapter eight, we reach a tremendous pivot point in the story of the early mission of Jesus as it spreads from Jerusalem and Judea into Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. In the early chapters of Acts, the church in Jerusalem was growing rapidly, but as it was growing, it was not going. It was growing larger, but it was not engaging in the mission of moving out from Jerusalem into the rest of the world. I mentioned to you Saul of Tarsus, this great persecutor of the church, who became Paul the Apostle. Well, it says in the early verses here of Acts chapter 8 that Saul was behind and part and parcel with all those people who began to persecute the church that was in Jerusalem, to suppress it, to stop the mission of Jesus as it was spreading around Jerusalem, thousands of people coming to faith. They wanted it stopped. And in fact, a terrible event occurred. One of the first deacons in the church, a man named Stephen, was put to death for his faith in Jesus. And Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was part of that effort. And when that occurred, when that occurred, it says that that church which had been growing but not going, suddenly, facing that kind of violent opposition, began to move out into the world. Pick it up with me in verse 4. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip, who was one of Stephen's fellow deacons, 
went down to the city of Samaria. So he's a Jewish believer in Jesus who goes to Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So here's Philip, everyday ordinary believer. It says the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the church that had been growing but not going found itself, God had arranged for things to be let's just put it this way, made uncomfortable for them to be disturbed so that they began to enter into their mission. The apostles stayed behind. I think often there is a belief in some that God is waiting for some super Christian to come on the scene, some amazing preacher who will fill a stadium. But in fact, as Michael Green, the scholar, historian of the ancient church wrote, evangelism was the prerogative and duty of every church member. We have seen apostles and wandering prophets, nobles and paupers, intellectuals and fishermen all taking part enthusiastically in this primary task committed by Christ to his church. Listen to this, the ordinary people of the church saw it as their job. Christianity was supremely a lay movement spread by informal missionaries. God's ordinary people took the gospel into the world and it changed the world. What happens in these verses is the beginning of that. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, 
And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. The church is a priestly people with a ministry to God. But it's also a salt and light people with a witness and service in the world. You and I are placed by God in, in the world to be light in the darkness. My friends, the, the measure of a church is not its seating capacity. The measure of a church is its sending capacity. And it is time for us to recover and get back the message and the mission that God's entrusted to us. The mission of Spanish River Church is to bring the transforming life and love of Jesus Christ to every generation of our members, our neighbors, and the nations through the power of the gospel proclaimed in word and deed and sign. Every single one of us are called into this mission. Note again what Michael Green wrote. Everyday people, it was supremely a movement of informal missionaries. But the contemporary church has flipped the script and turned members into a passive audience. Disciples who are to be trained and formed into customers who simply consume. Everyday missionaries either into disengaged and fearful exclusionists or aggressive cultural dominionists. My friends, it's time for us to get back on message. It's time for us to get back on the mission. There isn't a single person in here who belongs to Jesus, who hasn't been given the Holy Spirit, and God did not give you the Holy Spirit just so you would have life in Christ. Wonderful as that is, he gave you the Holy Spirit so you could bring the transforming life and love of Jesus Christ to others through the power of the gospel. It is not enough that we are a church that is growing. We have to be a church that is going. And that is transformational, not only for the world, but for us personally. It's transformational for the world when the church gets going. There was a, I'm so thankful for him. There was a young former rescued slave who came to faith in Christ and then went back to the people who had made him a slave. His name was Patrick. He went back to Ireland where he had been taken and made a slave. He went back to the people who had made him a slave to tell them about Jesus. And he proclaimed the gospel there. My middle name is Patrick. I'm a descendant of those wild Irish Christians. And I thank God for him. He brought the gospel to that place, a place that was full of cultic ritual and human sacrifice. And he brought the transforming life and love of Jesus to that place. When Patrick went to Ireland, Irish men carried on their belts, attached to their leather belts, the heads of the people that they had killed. That's a grim sight. When Irish monks, centuries later, came back over to the continent of Europe after the barbarian invasions of Europe to reintroduce the faith to the continent, they carried something on their belts. They weren't heads, they were books. They carried the gospel, they carried learning, they carried the good news back to people who had had it taken away from them. All of that happened because they were devoted to not only being a growing people, but a going people. When Patrick preached the gospel in Ireland, no one was martyred for their faith. They actually were a little upset about that. 
They had three martyrdoms. There was the red martyrdom and the white martyrdom and then what they called the green martyrdom. Now the red martyrdom meant that somebody had shed blood. They had been killed, but they didn't have any. So the Irish invented what they called the white martyrdom, which meant you had to be quiet. You couldn't speak. But they were Irish and it didn't work. (laughs) They couldn't be quiet. Of course they couldn't. So then they came up with something even worse than death, the green martyrdom, which meant they had to leave Ireland, the place they loved, the place of their comfort, the place of their joy, and go to places like, oh, England, or Germany, or France, where it was uncomfortable. Every one of us, in a certain way, when God gets a hold of us and draws us out of our comfortable places, he does it for the sake of his message spreading in the world. But in doing that, he also does something in us. He grows us. When I was a pastor in Kentucky, I had a friend who owned a pet shop. And I went to visit him one day in the shop, and I was looking through all the different critters and creatures in the place, and I looked at all of this whole wall that was full of various aquariums. And I I saw in one tank what looked to be sharks. And I said, hey, these look like sharks over here. You can't have sharks in a pet shop. I said, those aren't sharks, are they? He goes, oh yeah, those are sharks. I said, you can't have sharks in a pet shop. He goes, I said, they're gonna just blow the the thing open. He goes, no, He he said, they'll only grow as big as the tank they're in. He said, if I keep them in there, they're only gonna be that big. You put one of those in an ocean and they'll grow to great size. What's happened for many Christians, many Christians have become pet shop sharks. We have sought out our comfortable places. We have sought out our Jerusalems where the church is growing, but it isn't going. And God then in his mercy stirs things up, makes things uncomfortable. He allowed persecution to happen and then they got going. And when they got going, the world started changing. It says there was great joy in the city of Samaria. And it happened because an ordinary believer named Philip, again, he wasn't somebody who'd been a preacher in Jerusalem. He was just a person who was taking care of the poor, making sure that needs were met, He's a man who was a, he had a Greek name, so he's a Hellenistic Jew who believed in Jesus, and he ends up in the city of Samaria. That would have made him very uncomfortable. Think about the journey of Philip. He goes from being a Hellenistic Jew in the city of Jerusalem, and then he ends up in the city of Samaria. And then God says, the Holy Spirit says to him, in the middle of a revival where thousands of people are coming to faith and being healed, I want you to go out to a desert I want you to go to Gaza. How many people could hear a word from the Lord even today that said, I want you to go to Gaza? But that's what the Lord said. I want you to go over there to a desert road. And he didn't say, well, Lord, why would you want me to leave all these people? Look at this great harvest. You surely don't want me to go out there. He goes, yeah, I've got somebody I want you to meet. And so he goes out there to a desert. He's walking through a, he's walking down a desert road all alone, going, Lord, what are you doing? And then off in the distance, he sees a chariot. And the same Holy Spirit that said, go out in the desert road, said, go up to that chariot. So he runs up to the chariot. He runs up. And he hears in the chariot an African man, an Ethiopian man. 
So he's got out of Jerusalem. He's got to the Samaritans. Now he's out in the desert. Now he's with an African man. He's with an Ethiopian. And this Ethiopian man is reading Isaiah 53. He was a wealthy man. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to afford a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, a massive scroll, hand copied. And he's reading, and he happens to be reading from Isaiah 53. When God calls us into the world, God is way ahead of us. When you and I go into the world, we do not bring Jesus to the world. We join Jesus in the world where he's already working. God is already at work in your workplace. God's already at work in your neighborhood. God is already at work with your family. God is way out there ahead of you, and he's summoning us into it. And he calls us out of our little tanks into the wider world of his mission. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, how can I understand it unless somebody tells me? Do you hear what the world is saying? How do you think it is that people come to know Jesus? Do you think it happens instantaneously? It doesn't. When the two young ladies asked about Christianity, they didn't, when they started meeting with Mike, come to faith in Jesus overnight. That was months. But God was at work in this situation. How can I understand this text unless somebody shows me? Can I ask you a question? Could you show someone Jesus in the Bible? Do you have the training that if somebody says to you, how do I know Jesus? You can open the Bible as Philip did. It says, beginning with this text, he preached Jesus to him. You see, he wasn't only on a journey. He was on a mission. And there was methodology to it. Philip had the Holy Spirit and he had the power of the gospel. And Philip's power of the gospel, Philip having the presence of the Spirit is no different than you or me. Every single person here who's a believer has the same Holy Spirit Philip had. Every single believer here has the same message that Philip had, has the same gospel that Philip had. And that's why every single one of us can be used by God where we are. But what we do is we go out into the world and we consider the world a dark place rather than a place which is already inhabited by the presence of Jesus who has gone ahead of us and is preparing hearts. In the first service, we heard about 15 public school students who this last week gave their hearts to Jesus through the first priority mission that's going on in the, in the schools. I've heard about public school teachers and coaches who are praying for their students. I know about a couple in this church walking their neighborhood. And as they walk their neighborhood every single evening, they're meeting their neighbors. They're getting to know people. Many of them aren't believers. And they're getting to share Jesus with people and pray with people. A man in the church who invites other guys to join a sports team and uses that as an opportunity. There are many parents who aren't necessarily able to come on Sunday mornings right now. Their children are involved in traveling sports teams. But what if they saw that as an opportunity to step out of their comfort zone and into a place where they took it as a ministry, a gospel moment, and they began to meet with the other parents who traveled with them and they studied scripture together, they prayed together, and they shared Jesus with one another. 
Some people playing golf, other people playing tennis. Some of you could host a neighborhood Super Bowl party. You should do that this coming year. And you go, you go well, I mean, at halftime, should I just stand up and preach to them? No, no. Just pass the Doritos, get to know people, and see what doors God opens up. There's a woman in the church now holding a book club in the mall, and unbelievers are coming to that book club a Bible study on ethics for business leaders, English second language class or nurturing your newborn. I was at first watch, I was at first watch a few months ago and I had my Bible and a commentary and kind of a dead giveaway. The, the lady who was serving me said, are, are you a pastor? And I was like, well, guilty. And I, I, she said, well, where are you a pastor? I said, well, just over here down the road at, at Spanish River. And she said, I went to ESL class 15 years ago there. I met my husband there. We met the Lord there. It makes a difference. In the coffee hour after the, after the first service, I met a lady and her two small children. And I said, hi, we haven't met before. She told me your name. I met the children. I said, tell me, how did you come to be here today? And she said, I started going to nurturing your newborn. I'd never been in a church in my life. And now I'm here. This is how it happens, my friends. The musicians that serve us every Sunday morning, not only serve us in worship, but giving lessons to, to students. People in this church who bring coffee into ICU waiting rooms. My friends, there is, at Spanish River, we cannot anymore be pet shop sharks. You and I are called into an ocean, and that means we have to bring the message of Philip with us. What was his message? It says, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What was the scripture? It was Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, you read about a lamb that was silent. There was nothing in Second Temple Judaism in the time of Jesus and Philip that made people think that Isaiah 53 was about the Messiah. The apostles, these deacons, these everyday missionaries learned that from the lips of Jesus. Jesus told them, John the Baptist prophesied it. He said, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He brought him the good news of Jesus. See, the good news of Jesus answers the bad news concerning our human condition. The human condition is this. The heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You and I lie to ourselves all the time. We lie to ourselves and we tell ourselves we're right with God when we hate him. And sometimes even after we come to God, we lie to ourselves and we say he hates us when he loves us. We'll lie to ourselves and tell us that there's no hope. We'll tell ourselves there's no hope for somebody as bad as we are. But the good news answers that bad news and says, Jesus hung between heaven and earth as the mediator between God and man and he shed his blood, the lamb laid down his life so that you and I could have our sins forgiven and we could have new life in him. It says that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. It says he bore our iniquities, he carried our sorrows and by his stripes we are healed. The good news of Jesus says to the Samaritan who is in rebellion against God, who says to the Ethiopian who is 
geographically distant from the holy place. And listen, friends, as a eunuch, as a eunuch, the law said, you can't come into the holy place. Imagine that. He shows up. He comes all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. And they say when he gets to the front door, you can't come in. Because he was a eunuch. That's the law. That's bad news. But what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus died for our sins and our fallen condition. And Jesus says, forget, forget the front door to the temple. I'm the new temple. You can come into heaven. Just believe in me. And the eunuch was baptized and he went home rejoicing. And then it says, Philip was caught away by the spirit. Many scholars don't know what that verse really means. It means in many cases, they believe the the Holy Spirit just took him and it was kind of rapture practice and just whoosh, took him away. And it says he landed in Azotus. It says he found himself in Azotus. This Hellenistic Jew from Jerusalem who went to Samaria, who ended up in a desert with an Ethiopian that the Holy Spirit was already working on, then was carried by the Spirit to Azotus. And you go, so what? Azotus was a Philistine city. Can we agree that this guy is out of his comfort zone? This Jewish man who believes in Jesus, hanging with the Philistines because he had the message that changed the world. My friends, Jesus comes to save. He comes to seek. And he's given you the spirit. He's gone ahead of you where you work. He's gone ahead of you in your neighborhood and he will use you where you live, where you work this week and the rest of your life. Do not pray for the Lord simply to give you what you need. Pray for the Lord to prepare you for who he's taking you to every day. I think many people imagine that what the scriptures say is this, the Lord is my shield and butler. We imagine that our prayers every day are giving God his orders. Lord, this is what you're supposed to do today. But no, our prayers are communion with God that prepare us for where he's calling us to. The strange places, the coffee shops, the unexpected encounter, the person we didn't know we were gonna meet. And listen to this, friend. The person who is so different from you, who will shock you because God is at work in their life and he used you to reach them. God is way ahead of us on this and you and I are together in the mission. Let's stand and pray together, shall we? Jesus, we thank you that you have borne our penalty at the cross, the bad news of our everlasting damnation has been met by the good news of eternal salvation that is given to us through your sacrifice. And now, Lord, we turn our hearts to you and we ask that you would deliver us from our our narcissism, deliver us from our self-centeredness. Do not, Lord, allow us to be a people who are only considering growing. Help us to be a people who are going, who receive your spirit and power and then carry the good news of Jesus to the whole world. Lord, use us, we pray, as your everyday missionaries. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship the Lord.